Uh, hi, I'm Faith Erin Hicks, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. My friend who really sort of guided me in the direction of, okay, here's how you do a storyboard layout. Because when the illustrator asked me for that, I was like, cool, what's a storyboard? <laughs> what's the <story> that? <laughs> I don't look that I asked Will because I didn't know. And he's like, oh, you can just, you know, like like do a little breakdown on in the manuscript. You can just write it on the margins. And I was like, I, I can't do that. I can't. I can't see it mm-hmm. by just writing a thing in the corner. Like I, I need to see it on, you know, on pages. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts on the internet. Thank you for listening, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Getting folksy. I- Folksy, I never know what to say when you come on. Like, I want to be cool. I want to be like, you know, this is episode 100 and whatever. You know how the cool podcasts come in and then they have like the sponsor right off the top. (laughs) We're totally not cool, though. I mean, we're just like, we're middle aged dads. Like, we're not cool. (laughs) And our sponsor this episode uh, this week is brought to you by our kids' Halloween candy. It certainly is. I know it's been keeping me going for the last week. <laughs> yeah, I, as we speak, I'm showing Jamie I have packages of candy on my desk. Every morning, oh, I'm yeah. like, kids, thank you so much for the Sour Patch Kids last night. They're like, hey, I didn't give you any Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're not going to eat it. It's the least we can do. I mean, it's kind of like one of our duties as a parent, right? We don't want them to like <laughs> exactly. rot their teeth. We got dis- to dispose get- of it responsibly. Exactly. We need to we need to take care of the good stuff for until they're only left with Tootsie Rolls. I'm sorry, I'm still talking about Halloween candy. So go ahead. Halloween candy. So this week we have a awesome interview for you. Um and this is gonna be this is we touch on a lot of fun things here. If you've ever gone through this is like such an obscure thing to say, but if you've ever gone through self publishing, then you're gonna enjoy this. Like how many people have gone through self publishing to say Probably that? more than we might think, actually. <laughs> it's it's becoming a lot more common for people to do. I mean, it's hard to get published. So if people have stories they want to tell, they self-publish. And it's it's not as frowned upon as it used to be, you know? I mean, it used right. to be like hardcore authors or publishers would kind of like turn up their nose and poo-poo you. Think, oh, you're self-published? Like, don't even talk to me. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's such a common thing now. People are just, it's a, it's a, it's a very popular and efficient way to get your words out there. And I've even heard of people um, self-publishing just online PDFs to Amazon, you know, and they're selling copies for two or three dollars, but they're still making money off of it and getting to write. So, you know, win-win, right? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this this episode is also it's it's a few firsts for us. Um, I do have to say so I went back and because I thought I might have been mistaken. So we have had siblings 
on separate episodes of this show. We had Tom Bancroft and Tony Bancroft, their brothers, twin brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time that we've had spouses on separate episodes. Right. Am I correct in saying yes, that? Yes, we've had spouses before, but I think it was only Cameron and Rhea. I think that was it, but but they were on yeah, the same they were, episode. Yeah, and they were on the, and they were on the same episode. Yeah, so this is separate. Like they, they we each got did their own thing. So we're talking to Ann Wheaton today. Um, and we had Will way back. It was like episode thirty-five. I want to say I think because I just looked it up for the post. And it's it was way back that he was on the show. But um, so that's a first for us, and it's also a first because we've got an intro bit that we had to record after the <laughs> so main this is like interview. a choose your own adventure. Uh, <laughs> we recorded the first interview with Anne, and then later on, Jamie got an email and it was like, wait, some of the information has changed, and so there's also a update. So what we're going to do is we're going to play the update in quotes, I guess, uh, first. And that's going to it's only a couple minutes. But what happened was let me give you a little bit of the backstory. What happened was um, so we talked to Anne about a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that she was really excited to talk about and we were really excited to have her talk about is uh, and that ties into, Justin, what you were saying about self-publishing is that she has a new children's picture book coming out, Piggy and Pug. And we talked quite a bit about that. And we're at the point now where the book is done, the file is done, and she's just waiting on the actual books to arrive. Um, So when we recorded the original uh, interview with her, she thought plan A was in effect for distribution and and availability and how books were going to get shipped out. Since that point until now... Some of that has changed. And so she wanted to go back and um, sort of give the updated scenario for people who might be interested in buying the book. Originally, we had talked about pre-orders. She's no longer taking pre-orders. So in in the interest of being factually correct, uh, we had her come back. We recorded a few minutes. Um, So this first bit of audio you're going to hear is the actual information as of release date of this episode for when when her book is going to be available how you can get it and um and uh and, and how it's going to get distributed so when we get to that point in the yes. actual interview just ignore us you know like go get grab a coffee tune out do something else um but that's it's only a couple minutes of the main interview we just wanted to to let you know that there's going to be some contradictions in what we're saying but this first bit is the actual so we are going to go play the first update for you right now and we'll come back and we'll send you into the main interview so and here we are again um i we talked when we talked for the podcast we talked about a lot of different things but one of the things that we talked about specifically was uh when piggy and pug was going to be available uh you had talked about pre-orders and we talked about distribution and availability and getting the book in people's hands and i know some of that information has changed so i wanted to give you the opportunity to give here at the top uh some updated and correct information okay so uh, the book is still going to be available to be ordered at piggyandpug.com. The website is being worked on right now. I'm actually writing some information on it today, which is super exciting. Um, but the thing that did change for me is I decided that trying to distribute myself was really going to take away from uh, me promoting the book and my ability to 
give good customer service if there was any sort of issue with an order or if a book got damaged or returned or didn't show up or whatever. So um, I thought about it and decided to go with Black Box, which is the distribution company that the Cards Against Humanity um, guys created. Mm -hmm. And um, oh my God, they're so awesome. Just like how important their customer service part alone is, is really cool. But they, they know a thing or two about distribution. I would they, imagine. They know, how to, they know how to get a product <laughs> yeah. out there yes, in an efficient <laughs> manner. Um, but they, they don't offer pre-ordering, which is, uh, that's fine. I feel like that probably complicates things on their end. So, um, instead of doing pre-orders the whole month of December and shipping in January, we are just going to make the book available for immediate shipping starting like mid-January. I don't know the exact date yet, but it's going to be somewhere around the middle of January 2018. Okay. And when do you think that uh, you said the Piggy and Pug website is getting work done right now? When do you think that's going to go live for people to get more information? Um, probably in a couple more weeks because there is a lot of info that I'm putting on there and I have some travel coming up, so I'm not going to be available to work on it every day. Okay. Um, but it will, it will have all kinds of info and, um, as soon as the book is available to order, there's going to be a convenient little button on there that you don't, it doesn't take you to third party website or anything. It just, you just click on it, you place your order and then ta-da, it shows up on your doorstep. Like magic. Like <laughs> magic. So I'm glad that we were able to, that I know this ahead of time so we could uh, clarify it before people re, uh, listen to the podcast where they're like, yay, pre-orders are, are happening, right. but then actually no. So Right. So when you get to that part of our interview, when we start talking about pre-orders and, and distribution, just go get a drink, you know, ignore us for a few minutes until we start, we've moved on to something else because that's yeah. unfortunately not accurate anymore. Yeah, that's not happening, but I'm super excited to work with these guys and get it out the middle of January. That'll be exciting. And we're definitely looking forward to it. Great. Thank you so much for coming back and doing this update. And, um, and um, we're hopeful that uh, the book doesn't see any more delays. Fingers crossed, because I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so that was the update. If you didn't pay attention and you hear the new, <laughs> the old information, then you can't blame that on Shame us. Shame on you. This is also the last time we will update <laughs> because we can't edit a podcast that you've already listened to. <laughs> so... <laughs> so listen so now is the main interview that Fair we, we uh, <laughs> did a few weeks ago and here you go and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us though um, it's it's kind of an honor to be your first podcast I know it's exciting I um I I've done one other podcast uh, that was not related to um doing any talking about this book that I wrote at all, but um it was called Can I Pet Your Dog? Uh-huh. Um because Wait, that they, was the podcast name? That's the that's the name of the podcast. And they interview people about like their animals and, and all kinds of cool stuff. And um it's really cute. And so I talked about just like how I came about having rescue animals. That's amazing. Wow. That is amazing. We're we'll probably get back to that topic in a little bit. Um, but I wanted to start off just, I guess, by asking you how you're doing and if you're feeling better from a few months ago, the scare that you had. 
my oh my god my ovary torsion that was trying to kill me and the yeah. emergency room doctor that was assisting it yes i yeah i feel a lot better it um that was physically traumatic because um you know i just woke up one morning and within a half an hour was doubled over in pain and mm-hmm. went to the emergency room and sat there for six hours doped up on morphine and then did a bunch of tests and even though the test came back negative for everything this doctor said oh i see big football player guys with this pain all the time it's a kidney stone mm-hmm. and i mean we even did a ct scan and i he sent me home with a handful of norco you know because opioids solve everything they're, they're the solution to everything <laughs> so um I ended up going back at like 2.30 in the morning the, the next day, so like a day and a half later, I guess, um, in because I was screaming that mm-hmm. I felt like one of my organs was shutting down. And my poor dogs, I freaked them out so bad because like I have a high pain tolerance and mm-hmm. to be screaming in pain was pretty, it was scary for all of us, but I ended up... Um, thank God, getting a new doctor at the mm. ER. So I was so afraid to go back to that ER because I didn't want the same guy to tell me that. <laughs> well, I, she, looked on my, she looked on my CT scan and could see that it was dark on that side. And it was dark because there was no blood supply because oh, that, that was an organ that was dead and trying to kill me and was starting to bleed internally. And it was, uh, I think it was definitely a PTSD thing I had to deal with after because... Mm-hmm. At the time, I was like, just get this thing out of me now that you know what it is, get it out. I've never had emergency surgery before. And um, poor Will was basically awake for like 48 solid hours because I was constantly in pain. Yeah. And then here I am being carted off to surgery. Um, and then after, just like the adrenaline of it all um, really affected my health and my thyroid. And then suddenly being down an ovary and having a messed up thyroid messed up all of my hormones in ways I didn't know were possible. Oh my gosh. And I kept trying to deal with it naturally because I was always like, oh, well, you know, I'm, when middle age happens, I'm just going to let things happen naturally. <laughs> and then being uh, down an ovary so quickly um, causes osteoporosis and it can lead to early dementia. And in... Um, let's see. This happened June 3rd mm-hmm. and September 14th. I caved and got on hormone therapy and within 24 hours, I <laughs> I felt so much better. And I was like, why did I wait? <laughs> it's dumb things. Like I hear it all the time with people that are like, oh, I was taking this medication and I felt great. So I stopped taking it. Yeah. So I had actually cut back on the dose for three days last week. And it affected me so bad. Again, I was like, oh, my God, I'm that person that took medication thinking I would feel better. Um, So, yeah, that's all done. And uh, (laughs) and I am going to be filing a complaint with um, on the state level Mm -hmm. and the hospital medical review board and all that stuff, because that first doctor just blew me off. And that was yeah, it scares me to think that there are other people that experience that. Well, I mean, what do you think, based on that experience that you had, like, what do you think needs to change so it doesn't happen to other women? Well, I don't feel like, I actually wrote a blog post about it. Right. 
I don't feel like, um, oh, this doctor misdiagnosed me because he's a man. Because I have had male doctors that have been amazing. But it was, he was busy. He was rushed. He didn't take the time to think. You're com- he, he said, my job is to make sure you are not bleeding internally or in need of surgery. I see this pain in big football player guys all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a kidney stone. And I was just like, that is the weirdest thing to me. It's like, I was was bleeding inside. I was in need of surgery. And you compared me to a man who doesn't have the same organs I have. Right. So what, what I want is to make sure that any doctor that's on staff, I know that they are trained to deal with male and female anatomy. But I think in an emergency, the default... Um, diagnosis usually comes from a, a, a is based on a male's body because mm-hmm. women have such a high rate of death from heart attack because our symptoms are completely different than a man. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard from oh my god, so many people after my ovary torsion of either having that experience themselves or knowing somebody within a couple of weeks of mine that had it happen, including um, a woman whose nine-year-old niece had it. Oh, my gosh. It's not even a thing. Like, for me, my doctor said it probably had a large cyst on the top of the ovary, and the weight Mm -hmm. of it flipped it and twisted that artery and cut off the blood supply. But for little kids, you can just be, you know, doing cartwheels or flips off a trampoline or whatever and twist it in a way that if it's caught early enough, when a doctor knows to look for that, they can go in and unflip it. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but for me, we it was um, delayed so long because this doctor misdiagnosed me that they it was dead and they had to remove it. Mm. So, so just want just want doctors on staff who stop and think because thank God this didn't kill me. But I heard stories of people whose family members did die as a result of a male doctor misdiagnosing a female specific health issue right and that's that should not ever happen yeah so both you and will wrote about your experience and you both routinely write about very intimate personal details of your lives so how did you learn to live your life out there to be examined by complete strangers and you and be okay with it when i um first started on social media i just had a facebook page that was private it's still Mm -hmm. private it's just my family and my friends basically i sort of treat that as the place where i either these people either are someone that have been in my home or i've had dinner Mm -hmm. with somewhere where i feel comfortable enough with sharing what i share there and then it sort of turned into a place where I started telling dad jokes. <laughs> and then I was like, I need a bigger platform. And so I um, joined Twitter. And like, seriously, like the first year and a half, two years that I was on Twitter, it was nothing but uh, dad jokes. Um, <laughs> but I did start realizing, you know, that it's it's basically like being able to text anyone in the world and you can share it doesn't have to be all dad jokes it can be personal experiences it can be something you're upset about it could be about a thing you love and then i started to feel like okay twitter's not a big enough platform even even <laughs> i don't think i'm ever i don't have that 200 and 
what is it, 280 character thing. I don't have yeah. that, and I don't think I'm ever going to actually participate in that because uh-huh. that feels too wordy. But then I was like, I want to create a, a blog, and of course, I'm terrible at technology, so Will was like, I think that's a great idea. Actually, I thought about it 10 years ago, so I already <laughs> registered the domain annwheaton.com. No, he did not. <laughs> he did. And so he's like, which one do you want? I was like, oh, my God. So yeah, he had it for 10 years. Um, and so he helped me create the uh, blog, like the technical side of it, because I don't know how to do that. Um, and again, that started out as a place where I told this like funny, embarrassing stories about me. And I always treated it like I was writing about a thing that, um, that I thought was funny or that I, um, it mattered to me because just seeing from other friends and with Will being on social media and having Mm -hmm. a blog or whatever is you can't please everybody. So you just do what you care about and the people that like that will find it. Yeah. So um, I didn't know, and I mean, it's okay, but I didn't know that Will was writing about um, like his side of being really scared when, you know, the doctor first thought I had a kidney stone and just all this stuff, how scary it was for him. But because of that, you know, I couldn't be there for him because I was, having all this happen. Um, but because he wrote about it, some friends actually saw it. And so friends were checking in with him and I woke up in, in my recovery room and he was talking to a friend, um, who I guess she couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. And she kept thinking, cause she's had a lot of, uh, like female related health issues herself that she kept thinking about him saying, my doctor thought it was a kidney stone and she thought it was my ovary. And so she saw his, I think he had written a couple of posts. So a second post was, um, Oh no, he had written that. And then I had had my surgery. And so she called to tell him, will you have take her to get her ovary checked? And he was like, Oh no, we're actually already <laughs> in the hospital. because She just had surgery. And it's cool because I mean, that's a friend that we don't know through social media, but we have actually made some really good friends through um, talking about stuff on our blogs and yeah. just, you know, what's important to us. And so but it's cool. It being the Internet, I'm sure you also get the negative and the opposite reactions. I mean, do you have a secret? I mean, the block button is your friend, I'm sure. But do you have a mm-hmm. secret for dealing with the trolls and people who just just want to tear you down because they think it's fun? Um, You know what? It was. It was really bad like a year and a half ago. And I even quit Twitter for like four months um, because I, you know, Will had that subscribe uh, block list thing. Mm -hmm. And I always thought if it ever gets to that point, it's just not worth it. But people started to figure out if they were blocked by him, they could go after me. And um, like, I mean, I would, I would have one response from somebody that was, you know, just engaging in what I was talking about. And then a hundred of how all the ways I should be raped and killed and, um, go shoot yourself and, and you're, you should die in a fire and all this awful stuff. And I just thought, you, you, do you know that you're saying that to like, um, a woman who is a person who is a, a mom and a wife and a sister. And I just wrote this post about my dog 
how cute my dog is and you're telling me to go kill myself like it was it was so weird and so um it just I just got so it was so upsetting and it got to like a traumatic level for me um that I just quit and then I wrote a blog post about it the next day and then someone at Twitter saw it I actually met the woman just a couple months ago and she said I was at, in my office at Twitter and I saw your blog post and I walked out into the hallway and said, see, I told you we have to do something about the harassment. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the women, like I think the women there were so vocal about mm -hmm. like the, just the constant, the way a man wants to silence you is how many ways they're going to rape you. It's like, that is, mm -hmm. that should not be a default response for somebody. Yeah. And you know, if you don't, if you don't like something, you can you can unfollow and you can ignore. You don't have to attack. Um, but I actually went up to Twitter and they did this little private symposium with like thirty people, and it was it was all these really amazing people from different organizations for you know um, for teen suicide for the L LGBT. What is I never say it right? Is that right? L it's LGBT. Yeah. Okay. And Q, I think the Q is more recent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always have to stop and think what those words stand for because it's not a thing that, I mean, I'm terrible with acronyms, so I know I have to stop <laughs> and think. Um, yeah. But uh, it was all these people and then um, Zoe Quinn and me. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I understand why Zoe's here because her ex-boyfriend, but why am I here? And then I realized, oh, I represent a woman on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And so we talked, we were there all day and we talked about different tools that would help. And I think that for them, it was a little too late on getting that under control. And what I've never understood why a private organization feels that they need to allow free speech in their platform, because it's not a government platform. It is a private mm -hmm. business and yeah. it's the internet version of, um, we refuse the right to serve anyone and right. you know i don't i don't get that but um the block list has definitely helped mm -hmm. and i <laughs> someone wrote this really cool thing i think the biggest the most i get attacked for is if i if i say something um opposing whatever's going on with our government or or supporting Planned Parenthood or whatever. That, those are the things where I get attacked the most. Yeah. And I've started to realize there are so many bots that right. I instead of having my gut reaction of defending myself, I go look at their account. And if you look through their tweets, they're, right. all, they're all retweets of other things. And their tweets and replies will be like the same thing over and over. And so I that's crazy to me that it got to that point that we have bully bots, that that's mm -hmm. a thing. Yeah, it's a thing that exists. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. But um, I don't know. I also just feel like I've been looking at it less and less so I can enjoy life more mm -hmm. because yeah. if you look at too much, it's too negative. Yeah. Even if you're not the subject of those attacks and even if you're not engaging in those kind of political debates um i think 
disengaging from social media and backing away from Twitter is always a good policy to have. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it can so easily consume your life and your day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been days that have gone by when it's like the middle of the afternoon and I realize I haven't done anything because I keep going back to Twitter and looking, you know, or replying and doing whatever. And I realize I just have to shut it. I have to close it and just get work done. Otherwise, it's too much of a distraction. Yeah. And I feel like no matter who I follow, even people that are always funny or whatever everyone's so distraught over how awful everything is and so it starts to just no matter who i follow unless i follow like cute animal gifs or whatever (laughs) um everyone is upset and i try to balance it out by saying something positive and then just not looking at it the rest of the day Mm -hmm. and because i can't I look, I look first thing in the morning just to see if there's, because I feel like that's the quickest way to get news that matters around the world. Um, how awful would it be to hear some horrible things on our, on its way from North Korea via Twitter? Like that's, That's and that's probably a realistic thing, but, um, I just don't, I try not to spend my day looking at it because energy suck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about something a little bit more positive and fun and happy. Piggy Yay. Pug! Yay! <laughs> Man, so excited. So am I. Um, so first of all, for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, what's it about? Piggy and Pug is a book that I wrote that um, I, I really wrote it for five-year-old me. It would, it would be the book that I would have wanted to read when I was a kid. But... Um, the shortest way to explain it is that um, Pug is in search of a new family and Piggy is in search of a new friend. And they both have their own little journeys um, that bring them together. And it's, I don't know why it, I love it so much that even though I wrote it, it makes me cry every time. Oh, <laughs> and it's not as, it's not a sad book. It mm-hmm. is um it's a it's a really cute book, but it does have, you know, there is a reason Pug's going out looking for a new family and right. um and you know, just what how it all comes together for everyone is what always chokes me up. And I wonder if I'm gonna get to because I think I've probably <laughs> read it. I've probably read it forty times. Yeah. And especially when it got to the point of seeing the illustrations with it. So like what I was seeing in my head has come to life on in print. Right. Um, it still make it chokes me up every time. And I'm like, I'm going to be that person that is reading to little kids and crying. And because as a little kid, this wouldn't have made me cry. It would yeah. have just been like, oh, okay, this is a thing that happened and, and it all worked out great. Mm-hmm. But adults would probably do the same thing I did. Right. So, so how did it come about? What lit the fire under you to do a children's book? Um, well, I, this story I thought of because when I was five, um, I was walking home from my friend's house up the street and because it was the seventies and you could be five years old, five <laughs> years old and walking through a neighborhood alone. Yeah, that happened. Um, yeah. So I was walking home and an orange tabby cat just came out of nowhere and I stopped and pet him and he followed me home and I asked my mom if we could keep him and she said no because we didn't know who he belonged to so she let me give him a little bowl of uh, food and water and he stayed on my porch all day and and I go out and pet him a little bit and he 
he spent the night out there. I put a little bed out there for him. And the next day, my mom uh, just went and was asking around the neighborhood. And someone up the street said, uh, some people have moved away and left the cat. And mm -hmm. um, so the cat was obviously looking for a new family. Um, and so we got to keep him. And I was watching Land of the Lost when my mom found out and came home and told me I could keep him. And the baby dinosaur that is trying to, he makes friends with Will and Holly. Uh -huh. That dinosaur's name was Dopey. So I named that cat Dopey. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Uh, yeah. But it happened, it happened again when I was um, older. I was like, it was 30, I think. And this cat showed up in my garage and he was really sweet, but thin he had no front claws, and we asked around and found out two blocks up from us, people moved away and left him, and had him declawed, uh -huh. and he had kidney issues, and so um, we took care of him. He only, I think he was four when we found him, and he only lived to be about nine, um, but those last five years were pretty great with him, yeah. and we, I think that Will wrote about it um, on his blog. We named him Felix. He was a, he was a pretty cool badass mm. cat um, <laughs> but then the, but then my last part is that when uh, I started doing stuff with the Pasadena Humane Society we had that big housing market crash mm. and I just saw all these kennels at the Humane Society that had the little note you know because they say where the animal was found or whatever and the note on so many of them said owner turn in because people lost their homes mm -hmm. and at first I felt so sad about that and then I was like oh that's actually super responsible and then I just started thinking of this cat when I was little and how like I wish I because when I was little I didn't think we need to find those people and make sure they get their cat back <laughs> I, yeah this cat that all he cared about was having a family and so um I just I wrote the book that I would have wanted to read that would help me understand that these animals um they they're domesticated animals and they want mm -hmm. they want affection and they want to be part of a family and they want to have someone to play with and all this stuff and so it all kind of came from that mm. uh, i wanted to ask about a little bit about the process you went through um when you made the book so you found an illustrator on your own um before deciding i guess how to publish how hard was that process finding someone whose art you liked and, and being able to just bite the bullet and, and move forward with that Mm. Well, that was terrifying. <laughs> I was afraid, like I worked for a few months and had written this story that I was really happy with. And that the more I looked at it, the more I just kept seeing in my head what things would look like with the illustrations. And so I was afraid to go with somebody that, that I didn't know, you know, that didn't know me and, and how much I care about rescue animals and I had one friend that I was hoping to work with and he had another project and I waited a couple months for him and then it just, um, he still was busy and I, and it was just, it became a thing that I was like, now nah, I have to make this. And so, um, a friend of ours who helped with a production of Titan's Grave, um, a web series that mm -hmm. Will did they used 11 different illustrators and so he recommended this place called art station and it's a website where um illustrators can 
can post their work and then you can click on their, so you can just see their basic artwork yeah. and then you click on their portfolio where you can see all the different styles that they do. You can see reviews of people that have worked with, with the person and, um, and then their contact information. And I think there were probably, I think like 300 listings on there. Wow. And I just was going scrolling through and I came across one illustration that was exactly the feel that I wanted. It wasn't even, that wasn't even of animals. It was just, it was a couple walking in snow with, with a uh, street lamp glowing over them. And I just loved the way the whole thing felt. And then when I clicked on his portfolio, it was full of animals, <laughs> um, which was cool because Piggy and Pug aren't the only animals in my book. There's yeah. uh, several others. And so um, it was scary, but I emailed him and I was like, hey, I I wrote this children's book and I'm wondering if you would, like, would be interested in illustrating. And he emailed back like an hour later and he said, um, absolutely. And he ended up being like, I could not have asked for a more perfect person to work with. This guy is just, he is so sweet and thoughtful. And he, the, during the whole process, he just, he would thank me for choosing him to work on my project. Aww. And yeah, I just felt like there was mutual respect and love for this project, which um, I think is important when you, mm -hmm. when you're doing something that, you know, that you're doing for yourself, but that you will share with other people. Yeah. So um, I was really happy with him. Having been through all that now, do you, I mean, do you have advice for somebody else who is in a similar situation? You know, like I've written a book, but I, I'm, my art's just not up to the task of illustrating it myself. I mean, would you mm -hmm. recommend that same process that you went through the same, the same journey? Yeah. And I've been sharing that journey on Instagram and on Facebook because I feel like it's funny because I didn't um, I know that it's important to like that people like when you can show your work while mm -hmm. you're doing it, that people mm -hmm. can see that process. But I was so afraid to do that and, and then get stuck and then not follow through and then have to tell people, eh, yeah, I don't know how to make this book happen. <laughs> so I waited until I was actually done. And then I created this piggy and pug Instagram account. And then the Facebook is piggy and pug book um and so the facebook one i aren't the same right now facebook is a little bit behind mm -hmm. but um the reason why i'm posting it is because through all of my experience and my excitement and frustration and everything i made it work and so i want people to see how you can can do it they you can do your own ways but i was finding my own ways from scratch and so i'm posting about this so people can see how to do it to make it on their own because i i think people there's a lot of people that are like me that when i thought of going with a traditional publisher um i just didn't know what i wanted to do and i knew no matter what the book had to be done yeah. um to take it because they get a thousand ideas a day and if you don't show a completed work they are just going to pass you up well, um, why did why did you decide to go with self-publishing? Because of all the things we have, we have friends that are have publishing deals with um, with really great publishing companies. But with all of them, 
they all told me you you have to give up rights. They may cut your story, they may change your title. You do all those illustrations and then what they want to go with a different illustrator and and then they have the rights to distribute. And the thought of going through all this as a passion project for myself to have someone make it about business and I want to cut this part out of the story because it's three sentences too long and I don't like these illustrations and let's call it something else. And, mm-hmm. um, and then just distributing for a while and then not distributing and I don't get those rights back. Like I didn't make this thing for somebody else to take, take it away. Yeah. So, um, you know, Will had done that. Will created uh, our own publishing company, Monolith Press years ago because he wanted to self-publish his first book, um, Dancing Barefoot. And even though it was so, like we sat on our floor and packaged all those books up. I don't even know how many he sold, thousands mm-hmm. of books. Mm-hmm. And we did all that ourselves. And it was it was fun and exhausting and a learning experience. And that was back when there was no, um, uh, what is it called, stamps.com. There was no... Right prepaid postage like we were we were putting sticker sticker stamps on each envelope i think it was four stamps per thing there wasn't there wasn't paypal there was none of that (laughs) um so now i feel like okay well i've done that before so i want to at least do a first run of my print on my own just so i'm following through beginning to end and if if it uh if it does really well and i feel like i can't keep up with the shipping demand. Um, Pat Rothfuss created a distribution center for new authors, Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool because, um, you know, he, he has relationships with bookstores and publishers and whatever, and he wants to help new authors get their book out in places they might not otherwise, because they didn't go with a big traditional publisher. Yeah. So there's definitely ways to do this on your own. I am I am grateful and fortunate that I had the ability to cover the expenses myself. Mm-hmm. But even with that, I know that there are ways you can do, um, you know, Kickstarter or whatever right. to to fund those things from the beginning. And when you know when you know what the expenses are, you can you know mm-hmm. base your campaign on that. So it can be done. Yeah. Did you ever think about doing Kickstarter or going that route to sort of supplement so you could maybe do something that you might not have otherwise done? No, because because if I were to do that, like I had the story, but mm-hmm. if I were to do that, I think that that would have taken me away from, like managing a Kickstarter would have taken me away from completing the process. I mean, it, it, it would have eventually happened, but it would have been too much to try to do work. to do an uh, online funding campaign while also trying to go back and forth with an illustrator that lives in Toronto. So we're not even in the t- same time zone. Mm-hmm. So we were back and forth. And then I went with a printer who's in a different time zone and my layout designer was in a different time zone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. And, and I just kept thinking, I'm just going to figure out a way to pay for this myself so everything goes at the pace I can handle. Yeah. Right. Do you, 
Do you remember the the first time that you read it um, aloud to a bunch of kids? The first time I read it aloud was on a cruise in March that I believe you go on as well. Yeah. It was that the first last year? The first time that was the first time you read it? The beginning of this year. Yeah. With, oh, that, that, this year. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I had let like four of my friends read it. Mm-hmm. I just sent them the manuscript, but I um, I hadn't read it in front of anybody. So we, the, this Joko cruise is, uh, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with it, but it's basically like Nerdapalooza at sea. It's the greatest thing ever. Um, but what's cool is that it's all these different performers. There's, there's authors, there's singers, there's comedians, there's actors, there's all these different people doing, sharing this creative thing that they love. Um, and everyone is so supportive. And so I, I talked to my husband about it and I was like, do you think I should do this? Like, see if I can read it in front of a small group of people just to see how it goes. And he's like, yeah. And by that, by the time the cruise had come, I had only had, we had, we had designed the characters and we had, we had maybe half a dozen illustrations that weren't even in color yet. Mm-hmm. And so I asked if I could have a little room and do do it like a slideshow presentation where I would I would explain that I self-published and I'm working with an illustrator. So I'm just sort of showing the characters so you can see them and a couple of the illustrations. But I'm going to read the story to see what you think. And they gave me a room that seated 100 and it was standing room only all the way out to the um, back and out into the hallway, which was really cool. Um and I was not the only one that cried. I, I, totally I was just, just going to say, I can confirm that you cried at the end. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, it chokes me up every time. And then, um, but I had other people that felt the same way, but it's happy tears. It's not, oh sure. God, this is tragic. It's, it's, it's happy tears. Cause it's such a sweet story. Um, but then just to have people that have brought their kids to that, and over the week of the cruise, because I did this at the beginning of the cruise, over the week, little kids were coming up and quoting lines from my story <laughs> and asking me if I'd be at their school library. And ugh, it just, it was awesome. And it was even more motivation because that being in that environment of all these people that are so supportive, I just felt like, yep, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. It's, I never felt like I was going to give up, but there were times mm-hmm. where I just thought this is going to take me years to finish. Right. And then it was just more motivation to be like, okay, what's next? We're going to keep going. And then, you know, st- while I'm waiting for to hear from my illustrator and near the end, he cranked them out pretty quickly um, because he did all the illustrations first and then he went back and did all the color. So once mm-hmm. we decided on the color, he could crank out one or two a night, but he has a day job. So he, this wasn't a thing he was doing full time. And so, mm-hmm. This whole process from starting it, starting to t- the writing of it, to completing it and sending it off to a printer was a year and four months. Wow. And um, it's not that I worked on it every single day, but I mm-hmm. definitely worked on it at least five days a week. But I will tell you, in the in children's publishing, for when, when it comes to picture books, that's not a long time. I know. Yeah. I, when I had this idea, when I had the finished story and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go with a publisher or not, I talked to 
um, my friend Felicia, and she was like, well, just so you know, it takes, like, if you get a publishing deal, it'll be like two years before your wow. your book is even happening. Yep. But that's two years after me already having it edited and dealing with, an, uh, you know, getting all the illustrations done. Yeah. And so wow. just the illustration part was nine months. Mm-hmm. Which is good. I mean, that's. I think it's because I stayed on top of it the whole time. Yeah, for handle, for handling it all yourself, you know, and not having like a, an editor, like a like a an an in, in, in uh, an in house publisher editor that's going to handle all that and pub and production people to make sure that things are staying on schedule. Like nine months is phenomenal. You know, you did yeah. a, that's an amazing job. Um, so knowing what you know now about it, two part question, would you a go back and do it again and b ever consider doing another one? Um yes, I would do it again because it would go quicker cuz now I already know what to do. Right. Because I had to do everything like, you know, when I came down to doing the layout design, um, I had my friend Will Heinmarch do the design and he was like, okay, I just need an about the author. And I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. And I had to Google what I was writing about the author. <laughs> Did you know how to do that? And so, um, you know, now if it, going back, I could do it quicker because I already know. And I already uh, know which printer I would use. And I, I don't think I would, I mean, if I do a sequel, to Piggy and Pug, I would definitely want the same illustrator mm-hmm. um, because I would want it to look the same. But also, I mean, he does different, a lot of different styles, but just the way, the way we work together was so good that, you know, to not have to go seek someone out and deal with the mm-hmm. stress of that. Well, but um, yeah, there, there is a plan to do another Piggy and Pug. And my friend who really sort of guided me in the direction of, okay, here's how you do a storyboard layout. Because when the illustrator asked me for that, I was like, cool, what's a storyboard? <laughs> what's the, what's that? <laughs> I don't like that. Actually, I asked Will because I didn't know. And he's like, oh, you can just, you know, like, like do a little breakdown on in the manuscript. You can just write it on the margins. And I was like, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't see it. Mm-hmm. By just writing a thing in the corner, like I, I need to see it on, you know, on pages. And so my friend Ariana was like, "Well, go get, um, go get a dry erase board, and then you can just like make squares on it, and you can break down your story, and then you can do little illustrations to go with, you know, whatever you want to do, and you can. That's how you break it down. And so, wow, that was stressful to even do. And I, the, <laughs> because I'm so not good with technology. The way I broke down my story was I printed out the manuscript, I cut out with scissors every sentence, and then I taped them together where I wanted it on each section. So it was like a literal cut and paste. (laughs) (laughs) Doing it old school. (laughs) I love it. old school but that's how i could see it that's how i could right. visualize it yeah. was to these four squares and then here's the text that's going here and whatever and so and it was um 24 pages total and so it was a lot to break down mm-hmm. yeah um i i do want to move away from picking a pug for a few questions for a few minutes but before we do that how can people when and where i guess i should say can people buy it um 
Well, I have somebody that's working on a website for me now. So there will be uh, just information about the author because now I know how to write that because I Googled. <laughs> you Googled yourself to know what to say? <laughs> what to say about myself. Um, I, I, so he's, he's building this website for me because even though Will knows how to do that because he did that for my blog, I just feel like this is my project and he already has so much other mm -hmm. stuff he's doing that I don't want to be all and now how about me and you know when he when he wanted his blog he researched it and he figured out how to build it himself from scratch and that is not something I'm interested in doing <laughs> so he recommended a friend of his who actually does that stuff for a living he builds websites and he also is different time zones so um <laughs> so he's he's building that for me it's going to be piggyandpug.com and um, there will be, I'm going to make available uh, pre-orders starting the beginning of December. The books, I'm not even getting them from the printer until middle of December. So this is not a Christmas um, release, but I'm going to do pre-order the whole month of December. And then early January, I'll ship those pre-orders out. And then like second or third week of January, it will be um, available to the public to order. And yes, I've recruited my children to help me with <laughs> shipping. <laughs> Not for you. in their twenties, but uh, yes, I'm, I have to pay them because it's a job for them. Um, They—it's funny because when they were little, when we were, when Will and I were shipping Dancing Barefoot, they would say they wanted to help us. They were—I think they must have been like eight and ten at that uh -huh. point, and um, they would say, oh, "I want help," and they come running in and they put maybe three books in envelopes and they're like, I'm going to go play basketball. I'm done. <laughs> a reliable shipping department and that's okay. They'll be helping me and I have a couple of friends that want to help also. So awesome. we'll see. I did my first print run of 2,500. So I'll see how that goes. And, um, and if I have to do another um, print that I may end up using Pat Rothfuss's um, yeah. distribution mm -hmm. just to help me with that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. It's like shifting gears, I guess. Um, so you met Will long after he was a child star, but knowing what you know about the industry and seeing how the industry affected him, would you recommend to parents who want to get their kids into the industry that they do it? Or, you know, like, or would, would you say stay away? Like, what do, what do you tell parents? Um, when I met Will, he was 23 and I was 26. And he, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know that he had done any acting stuff um, until, like, until we'd been hanging out with each other for maybe, like, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I told my brother, um, and he, he said, I said, so I've been kind of dating someone. And he said, what's his name? Of course, like super suspicious right away. Right, and I said, right. I said, Will. And he was like, what does he do? And I said, I think he's an actor. And he goes, oh, you mean a waiter? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I think he, I think he actually is an actor. I think he's been doing this stuff since he was a kid. And he was like, oh, what's his name? Or what's his last name? And I said, Wheaton. And he goes, from Star Trek? And I was like, <laughs> I said, you, you know what? I think so. I think, I think I heard him say something about that or someone said something about it. Cause I didn't watch it. Cause when it came out, like 
it came out in 87. I had graduated. I That's when I graduated from high school. And then, you know, I was off living a nightmare with an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> but and, and I had my first kid in 1989. And so like when when he was in the middle of being a kid on that show, I was already, you know, um, in my early 20s mm-hmm. raising kids. And so we had very different lives. So I didn't right. see that stuff. But then my brother mm-hmm. was like, yeah, but he was in Stand By Me which came out on my 17th birthday. And that's all I wanted to do was go see that movie. And I never put the two together that it was him. That's so funny. Um, But then I just remembered when I saw Stand By Me, the reason why all four of those kids were in that movie is because Rob Reiner cast them because that's who they were. Yeah. Will, you know, River was the um, struggling kid who always wanted to do right and in the end died young. Um, Corey was had massive father issues and anger issues and all that stuff. And that was who he really was. And Will was the sweet, sensitive writer who just wanted to be loved. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was who he was in real life. And I remember seeing that movie when he was a kid and thinking how sad he looked in his eyes. And even though he, he really loved acting, that was not his choice. That was, um, that was kind of a thing that his his parents had mm-hmm. him do. And so when by the time I met Will, he was so like he had gotten he had took a he took a break from acting and then he came back and he was he was actually in acting school when I had met him. And he would always tell people, don't put don't get your kids in that in, mm-hmm. unless they genuinely love it and they genuinely want it. You know, Will's Will's parents, his mom had a commercial audition and didn't have a babysitter. So she brought Will with her and then turned out they needed a kid in the commercial. And so they both got it. And then mm-hmm. Will's career took off from there um, at seven. And so it was it was not really like he just wanted to go. He wanted to play board games and go to the arcade with his right. friends. And so he would always tell people, don't force your kids into that. Like, let them be kids. Let them do what they want to do. And if they want to do that, they want to pursue an acting career, then have them go to school and learn all that stuff and just let them live their lives. He doesn't regret it. He doesn't regret it because he got to be part of some really great things. Mm-hmm. But he does feel like he missed out on a lot of his childhood because he was going on auditions instead of playing at the park with friends. Sure. Um, you know, but I mean, so... Did you have concerns like uh, when 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 you went to get married because you had two kids of your own and you saw how that fame had affected him? Were you worried that like, oh, this is going to open the door to a whole bunch of spotlights on my own family? I don't know how I want to deal with that. We um, our kids were not on the Internet when they were little. We did not. There was there are no photo. There are no public photographs of them when they were little. I share Mm -hmm. them now because they're adults. Mm -hmm. But um Will knew the importance of just letting kids be kids. And, you know, the kids just knew him as Will. They didn't know him as some, as an actor or any kind of celebrity or whatever. So um, we kept him away from that. So it was never even a thing that they were like, hey, I want to get into acting. You know, like they were both really good at drawing. And um, my oldest is really good at writing. And they're like, they were, they had their own creativity. But we just worked really hard to try to let them have a childhood 
and then as adults, whatever they wanted to do, and neither one of them want that industry, so that works out well. Yeah. It's important to lay down those ground rules, right? I mean, especially mm -hmm. if you've got, you know, millions of people following you online and you're on, you know, you are in the spotlight and, and you have kids that you got to worry about. I can't even imagine. So, I mean, I'm, there's got to be a whole layer of rules that you have to come to an understanding about that, you know, the rest of us normal people don't have to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's weird is, um, like, I would not choose to put, if I had little kids now, I would not choose to put them on the internet because the internet's forever. Mm -hmm. and little kids don't have a say when you're just like posting a picture, taking a picture of them and putting it on the internet for the world to see. Yeah. And I feel like that, yes, they are your children, but also respect their privacy that maybe they don't need their childhood blasted online. Right. Um, so plus I always feel like, you know, when someone's, when someone posts a picture, like, Hey, I'm, I'm at Disneyland with my kid and then, then people go on the lookout for you and your kid, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's scary. Cause like Will and I just in our adult life, just learning, um, you can't post a picture on social media of where you are until you leave that place. Yeah. So, it's um, just mind boggling it's, to me. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, it can be, it can be scary. I mean, it's, it's not always scary for the most part. It's awesome. Like, you know, if someone, recognizes him he he's always happy to talk and take a picture if if it's an appropriate time because mm -hmm. there's definitely been inappropriate times like when I first met him and we went to a Star Trek convention in London mm -hmm. I didn't even know what a Star Trek convention was <laughs> and I was like cool we're going to London um, and it was at the Royal Albert Hall oh over oh, wow. Labor Day oh not over over Easter weekend and it was you know it's that seats 5,000 people and it was sold out Their They their Easter weekend is four days and it yeah. was sold out the whole time. And people followed us when we left our hotel oh and, um, and I mean, it was overwhelming to go to this convention and see these parents who have glued latex wharf foreheads on their <laughs> infants. And it's like, I mean, I get it now. I mean, also back then, this was this was in nine, 1996. And so <laughs> access to um, actors or any kind of celebrities or whatever was very limited. And it feels much more accessible with social media yeah. and these conventions that people can go to and even these cruises that we've done. Um, but you still have to remember that these are they're human beings. And so when Will and I were in London and we left our hotel and were followed and we had to like dart through a park and then found, had to find a restaurant because this was when mad cow disease was going around. So we had to find oh a gosh. restaurant that was like either, you know, like we don't serve any beef or, or we only use Irish beef was the things that were in a lot of menus. We finally find this restaurant. We sit down and Will is eating barbecue ribs. And this man comes over and he says, Will you take a picture with my baby and puts his baby oh on Will's, Will's holding his food? And uh, I just had, I just got up and went into the bathroom because I felt like I was going to have a panic attack that we, that we couldn't just eat a meal yeah. um, with somebody just making it about, oh my God, this is my only opportunity. So I'm going to plop my baby in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
for dinner. Um, it's really odd, but um, yeah, I feel like it's gotten better. But at the same time, there's been a couple of instances of a really enraged NRA supporting uh, Trump mm-hmm. guy who get sees sees one of us and wants to get in our face about something we said on social media about it. And quite honestly, those people are a lot scarier than your normal Star Trek fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, I was at a Rose City Comic Con a couple of years ago. This man in his 50s was waiting in line because my friend Bonnie and I had designed these little googly eye nail wraps with espionage cosmetics. This (laughs) man, like his 50s, just big... Big white dude with an American flag uh, T-shirt had stood there with his arms crossed for like 10 minutes waiting to only talk to me when Bonnie and I were trying to get people through the line. And Bonnie just called him around to talk to her. And he was like, um, he wanted, he she asked, you know, how he was doing. And he said, I want to talk to her. And I, I missed the whole thing. Thank God I probably would have left the convention. But he said, I want to talk to her about... Um, what she thinks about me owning guns and being a Republican and whatever. And Bonnie was like, well, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't, this was, you know, this was like three years ago. I didn't talk about this stuff on social media, but he was getting in my face because Will talked about it, but he would never go and do that to Will. He came to me because he felt that he could threaten and intimidate me. Sure. God, it's a little a little scary i mean last a little yeah. yeah back in may there was a i'm sure you heard about it some cosplayer guy that got into the convention at phoenix comic-con and he had what looked like um just cosplay weapons but he actually it was a real real gun and he had a backpack full of ammo and fortunately they they got him before anything happened and and I think most conventions have upped their security because of oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is scary. And it's, you know, it's a silly thing to think, oh, I wrote this children's book, but what if I go read it at a library and someone comes in and yeah. loses their mind at me? And then I have to remind myself, this is little kids. That's not going to happen with little kids. And then it's like, oh, but it happened at Sandy Hook. Like someone mm-hmm. went in to hurt a bunch of little kids. And it's scary, and I just—I've already said I want to want to make sure there's security anywhere I go, not just for me, but for anyone that's there. Yeah, and, and I don't and blame you. How awful that we have come to that—that that we're now that mm-hmm. we're now that kind of fears its own citizens because an organization that pays lobbies lobbyists is able to have their voice still heard, and yeah. no no regulation on any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Like, where do you? <laughs> so frustrating. I think that's the collective yeah. sigh of you know. Um, the collective. Yeah, sigh. everybody's so, like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'm gonna let's try to end this somewhat upbeat. Um, talk to me about the foundation to inc- increase awesome because that's what we need more of in the world. Yes. Um. So Will and I did a lot of uh fundraising stuff for the Pasadena Humane Society and we have always donated uh, we've been together for 21 years and so in that whole time we've always donated to Planned Parenthood and ACLU and Doctors Without Borders and over time there's other organizations that have come up like GLAD and NAMI and um, there's just like all these 
things that we love and we want to support. And I feel like, you know, we see so much nowadays, especially of people that are just constantly needing help that it's, you know, please donate here, please donate here, whatever. And, and you feel like I can't afford to donate a, a lot, but if I can donate five bucks, maybe it will help. Mm -hmm. And we just, we just decided like we created our, our own nonprofit, which was cool. That was another thing of doing a bunch of research and figuring out how to become a 501c3 and, <laughs> and how you uh, register that whole thing. And so um, that was pretty cool. We got accepted pretty quickly and we created the foundation to increase awesome so we can do different things. Sometimes we, um, like I made a rescue pet calendar and people ordered it through our foundation just so it all collected in one place. And then I could write one big check over to the Humane Society. We've done, uh, we've auctioned autographed board games from uh, games that Will's played with other celebrities on tabletop. And, you know, when you auction something for 40 bucks, that doesn't make as big of a difference as when you can auction off like a few things and, and make 400 and then right. send that 400 to one place. And, and not everybody, you know, I, sometimes we just get donations for 20 bucks to our our foundation. And I think it's really cool because they're just co they're going into the collective pool where we can go and make a bigger difference to help other organizations. So that's basically what we do. We just, we created that so we can make a, a bigger difference for other people. That's amazing. We all need more awesome, I think. And especially yeah. now with, with everything happening in the world, the way that it is, it just, sometimes you wake up and you just feel like everything sucks. Mm -hmm. um, and but it's not getting, positive. it will, it, there, there's always terrible and it's much more accessible to see because of social media, mm -hmm. but there are still, there's still a lot of awesome out there and yeah. you just have to look for it. Yeah. And it, if you, if the way you look for it is removing yourself from social media That's and right. going out and, you know, <laughs> doing, something, doing something kind for a stranger or whatever. Like there are definitely ways to make a positive difference without feeling like you're being sucked down and all the negative. Yeah. And Ann Wheaton, you are all kinds of awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much <laughs> for taking so much. the time to talk. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that the um, I, we made it through an entire conversation without my dogs barking. That's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You, get, you should go check on them, make sure they're okay. <laughs> I know, they're probably sitting on the sofa. There's something wonderful about vulnerability. And, I, and I, what I loved about talking to her is she doesn't hold anything back. And that's a that's pretty rare. We've interviewed a lot of people, and people have opened up to us, but I'm hard-pressed to find or remember an interview we've done where nothing seemed to be off limits. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She just kind of, you put it out there, and she and she swung for the fence every time. <laughs> she didn't pull punches. Yeah. She didn't hold back. And I, I really appreciate that. And I know people appreciate it because when... I was doing vlogging. I get that all the time from people. They say, oh, thank you for being open and honest. And people really appreciate it. And I can see why. Because talking to her and hearing her story told without, you know, kind of being, you know, keeping some of it in the shade or, you know, kind of being ambiguous about it. It's nice to be able to get that glimpse, you know. It feels like we're good friends now. <laughs> it's and, it, and it's a side of people that you don't normally get when they just do interviews or press you know, press junkets or whatever, you know, right. if, if, if somebody is promoting something, that's what they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about their new book, their new show, their new movie, their new, whatever. Um, 
most interviews don't go much deeper than that. And that's, I mean, one of the things that we've tried to do with this show is that we've tried to get a little bit more in depth. You know, we, we're still, you know, we don't, we're not like some of the other podcasts like Marin and Nerdist come to mind where they, they have an like hour, hour and a half, two hour conversations sometimes with these right. people. And they really get in deep um, about everything. Nothing is off the table. I feel like we have gotten there a few times. Um, this is definitely one of them. I actually just recorded another one, Justin. I'm sorry without you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not been released yet. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say who it was, but um, when that comes out, if you if you listen to it, you'll know which one it was because that one it felt like again it was nothing was off the table, nothing was taboo. Like it was just it was all out there, and that's what we were, we were just talking. Um, and those, those are the, I, I think some of the best interviews we've had, the best episodes that we've had. Right. Well, and there's something, there's something nice about it because you can tell when we just interviewed someone else the other day too, where we were talking, I won't say who it is either. And at the first of it, we were kind of like, well, this isn't going to, you know, you, the guest isn't really opening up and, you know, we're just getting these one line canned answers about what they're, what they're promoting. But then as soon as we went off the main you know, promotion script and got into the real questions. That's when like the magic happened. Do you know what I mean? That's when they opened up and yeah. all of a sudden it was great. That's a little inside baseball on <laughs> interviews. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is, it usually happens. Like there's usually one question that, you know, at some point in, in their answer, they realize, oh, okay, this is not just the, no, I'm not just, you know, right. Doing the one line promotional soundbite answer is like i I can open up and this is all right all right i, I understand where this is going if you, and then from it's then usually on, prefaced with a that's a great question <laughs> that's a really great question <laughs> as soon as you hear if you can get a guest to say that you know you're about to go into some good territory that's a great question <laughs> agreed and that's I, all I jamie's agree, doing so thank you jamie <laughs> oh well i can't do it alone it takes a village, or at least <laughs> at least two of us. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back every single week. We sure enjoy having you listen to us. We'd also love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast. You can also message me personally at 140JustinC, or you can message Jamie personally at The Roarbots. The Roarbots. And we'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.